This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenal. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's show, we are continuing our A24 retrospective. This is our 22nd edition of the series, and you can listen to recent episodes like 237, A24 Retrospective While We're Young, or 232, A24 Retrospective Son of a Gun, or go all the way back to episode 108, A History of A24 Films, to get the full backstory on the company. Today, we are looking at the 2015 film Cut Bank, directed by Matt Shakeman. The film stars Liam Hemsworth and Teresa Palmer as a couple who witnessed the murder of a mailman in small town Cutbank, Montana, and the sheriff, played by John Malkovich, whose investigation may reveal it's not so simple of a case. I want to welcome Daniel Grant to the show for the first time. Daniel is one half of the podcast Spoiled Rotten, a podcast where he and co-host Ben review comic book-based movies and TV shows. The podcast has also partnered with That Shelf, which makes our podcast sister shows, and Daniel is the podcast manager over at That Shelf, so in a way, our boss too. So welcome to the show, Daniel. How are you? <laughs> I'm nobody's boss. I just uh, get the stuff done. Thank you very much for the kind intro, and thank you very much for having me. Uh, as I said to both of you, I, I genuinely enjoy the show and listening, so I'm, I'm happy I get to be a part of it now. I'm very excited. Yes, you uh, you recently just had both of us on your show on separate times. Uh, you released an episode recently where Rachel was on talking about Batman Forever, and then you and I, with Ben, obviously, just recorded one about The Punisher that will be coming out uh, in July, you said? In July, yeah. So this is this is the uh, a prequel to that, even though the other thing has already happened. It, <laughs> it, makes, it makes sense in my mind. It won't make sense to any listeners' minds, though. I 100% thought you were about to be like, who was the better guest? Like, <laughs> so... Daniel, who is the better guest? We Sorry, all know. Audio's cutting. That <laughs> was a question. Oh. I think I think everyone did a great job on both episodes. And the ever diplomatic boss of the all podcast. I could, all I could ever do is leave it for the listeners, and I'm sure they will think that both of you did a great job as well. There's, there's, uh, I can't pick like that. Everything is cool to me in that way. Yeah, but which one was like cooler? <laughs> <laughs> considering how many times i need to listen to matthew and simon wax poetically about rachel's great radio <laughs> voice on their show awesome friday uh i think i know the answer is rachel <laughs> sorry look we all we all have our strengths we all have our strengths. i can tell you which episode went longer oh i don't know which if one that, went longer? if that means anything to anyone doesn't mean anything to Dakota, me. who who okay who would you think goes long? i kind of i don't I think I, ours went longer. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I think I think you talk you talk a lot more, Rachel. Yeah, I think I talk a lot more than Dakota. <laughs> well, yeah, the Rachel episode is longer. So if that yeah. means anything to anyone, there's that. It means I'm more <laughs> long winded. <laughs> That's could, what that means. Could it also be that we really struggled to come up with interesting talking points for the Punisher? <laughs> could, I thought yeah. everything was interesting, but also I was pretty stumped on like how do I get over just feeling this way of being deflated by the side <laughs> spoiling the episode. <laughs> I was going to say that, that could probably be a, Batman forever is just a better I was a movie. A little more excited about Batman forever. Yeah. There's but more to talk was, about. It's more fun. But that's, this is the whole point of having guests that I think are cool on was that at least the conversation will be interesting. Even if I don't find the movie yet interesting to me. There you go. There we go. Nice and diplomatic. Like- <laughs> All right. Well, Daniel, since it's now your first time on the show, uh, and specifically first time on the A24 Retrospective series, uh, we're going to kick it off with our tradition of the A24 for questions. And so we'd love to hear your answers. Question number one, what are your top three A24 films? 
I feel like uh, I'll go, I'll just say the three. They're not that interesting. I don't think people will find them that surprising, but everything, everywhere, all at once, Moonlight and Killing of a Sacred Deer, although I do really like The Lobster. I think I've revisited Killing of a Sacred Deer way more often. And I think I watched it like four times the weekend that I like saw it. Wow. Okay, you know, you said that's not that interesting of a selection, but I think including Killing of a Sacred Deer is really interesting because I don't think anyone else has said that. A few people have said The Lobster, but no one has said Killing of a Sacred Deer. So uh, rise up for the for the Lanthimos gang. Yes, there we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly surprised. I keep saying this every time it's mentioned, but like the fact that everything everywhere all at once is hitting people's top three when it just came out last year. Um, and like we were getting people saying that last year like mm-hmm. at the towards the end of yeah. the last year people were already saying that 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 was one of their top threes and i find that very very fast and i'm not i'm not trying to call you out here daniel but i'm curious if it's like a recency thing or i mean it's a great movie though like it's a great movie so i wouldn't be surprised if in five years time these people still say no it's still one of my favorites i'm always worried about recency bias but uh so i tend to like leave that out i tend to say like oh i recently mm-hmm. saw that and it was good but I mean, the rewatch of Everything Everywhere All at Once gave me just a deeper appreciation of it. So I felt like it it really is one of my favorite movies. Well, at least you have that thing of thing like you try to purposely avoid recency bias. And so that mm-hmm. makes I feel like that makes it more credible is that you're like actively trying not to do it. But then yeah. it still pulls you in anyway. Yeah. And I would also say, you know, you've included – a24 has won Best Picture twice at the Oscars, and that's Everything Everywhere and Moonlight. So, like, putting them on a similar pedestal sort of makes sense in, in regards to that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I like that list. That's a great list. It's, it's hard to complain about it. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to finally hear someone say Killing of a Sacred Deer because that's a great one. I think I prefer The Lobster a little bit more, but Killing of a Sacred Deer is excellent. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that was represented because I, I do like the... I feel like Bill already went over this, but yeah, I, I do like Yoko Slanthimos, but um, those two are really the ones that stick with me um, the more I think about them and as time goes on. Yeah, his movies definitely have a way of sort of burrowing into your brain. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to question number two, and what was your introduction to A24? I feel like, uh, I want to say spectacular now, but... I think it probably was more like I was aware of A24 being a thing with Obvious Child. But Mm -hmm. I definitely saw Spectacular, like Spectacular Now, right when it came out. And so I feel like that would be my introduction. But Obvious Child probably is when I was like, oh, this is like a company that does movies I like. Oh, cool. Nice. All right. And then that's an early one. Sorry. I was going to say that's an early one because I feel like most people are saying, I think similar to what I've said, which is like the enemy underneath the skin, like that time mm. of A24. And so spectacularly, I was a bit old. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're like cool before it was cool. That's the thing. I, all I know is I, my friend who you guys were just, I just was listening to you guys talking about Fast and Furious. He only likes Fast and Furious. Those are the only movies he cares about. <laughs> he won't watch anything else. And I got him to watch Spectacular now. And that's like the only thing he could talk about for like months was like, that relationship and the actors in it. So I, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm spreading the word. This is good. 
How funny. So he he rides with Fast and Furious and Spectacular now. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. amazing. He, <laughs> that's amazing. really was the only thing he could talk about for months. Was like, <laughs> no, Shailene Woodley in that movie was really doing a lot of good work. I was like, okay, I, I thought you only cared we about can work the with this. In, in, in Fast and Furious. <laughs> that's really funny. All right. So question number three, what director dead or alive would make a good A24 film? Now here's where I, I'm really taking a swing here and I hope, I didn't get this wrong, but I don't think Rick Famuyiwa has done an A24 film. And Ooh. I would really like to, him to do one. I'm basing this off of, I mean, this will, we'll get to this in the, uh, in the other questions, but like, I feel like his movie, um, they are connected, but the movie, the wood and dope have like qualities that I think would work well in the A24 system um, of just these like, vibe movies that you can enjoy on that level. And I think he would be able to bring something to a 24. Yeah. I've only seen dope of his and then, you know, his TV work on like the Mandalorian. Uh, but based on dope, I would absolutely agree because they, they also do quite a few coming of age stories and that's sort of what dope is mm-hmm. as well too. And, and so mixing the vibes with the coming of age definitely sort of feels within the milieu of, of what a 24 does. So I think that's a pretty great answer. I've randomly only ever seen Our Family Wedding from him. See, and I haven't seen that. I've, I've it's, seen not, that. it's not great. I have to yeah, it's not great I, for Yeah, I've seen I'm I will only defend the wood and dope <laughs> of, of the movies I've seen of his and I always forget that he does a Mandalorian, but he does have some of my favorite Mandalorian episodes under his belt. So I should watch those other ones you mentioned though, because I do like a good vibe movie. So I'll, I'll so the dope wood is, is like this love letter to like early 90s late 80s um okay. in uh i want to say inglewood okay the wood but like uh it's funny because then when you watch dope some of the characters from that movie are in dope and even say hey ask your brother about me or whatever and i'm like oh, oh. yeah well they, hmm. he's, he's got like a little universe going that's nice interesting okay i'll definitely check both of them out then good to know because then you have to watch the wood first yeah um you might not even really care to see those, but like, <laughs> I, I think they're both worthwhile watches. It's not like you need an order to watching them. I like having order, Daniel. Okay, I enjoy order fair. in my life. I will watch. <laughs> the, I will watch the wood first. It'll be great. Thank you for that. That's a good recommendation because I genuinely only really knew him for yeah, our family wedding. <laughs> and yeah. it's nice to know that that's not reflective of all of his work. So that that's good. I wouldn't consider that a vibe movie personally. No, yeah. I, I think. I think the wood and dope are more vibe movies than okay. the other stuff he's done. I'll check them out. Nice. Okay. Uh, and then the last question, what makes an A24 film? So, yeah, I've said it many times, vibe. But I do think that um, there's sort of like a dreamlike quality, I, at least I feel, for the movies I thoroughly enjoy from A24 that like while you're watching and even like when you're trying to like share with a friend you you kind of go back into that dreamlike state it just feels like there's like a warmth to it but also like a dreamlike state of vibes is basically the best way i can put it um and that to me feels like an a24 film even if it is nightmarish like hereditary or um kind of hazy not quite the nightmare of spectacular now I, I always feel like there's a dreamlike state to to the proceedings and 
everything about it, like even the way people deliver their dialogue, the way it looks, um, the sound of it, all of that is how I would describe it. Vibey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Straight vibes. Vibey. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And like, I think especially the ones that you picked, like I'm thinking Moonlight. Moonlight for Mm. me is a real vibe movie. Like it's got a real Mm -hmm. good um, vibe to it. So yeah. I love the answer. Like that's probably my favorite question to hear the answers to uh, that we ask is this one, because I find it really interesting what people take from it. I think Mm -hmm. you're the first person to kind of just say like, they're kind of just vibey, like they're straight vibe. Everyone talks about the thing of a 24 and like, I suppose the, um, not attitude, but like, yeah, they, people talk about like, there's always this, this kind of quality to a 24 movies, but I actually would agree. I think most a 24 movies have some sort of vibe quality to them, even if it's not yeah. a vibe movie itself. Well, I'm glad you agree. I, I, I would, you know, I'm not as articulate. as <laughs> So I'm trying my best, but I think that was what I was trying to get out there. Just the vibes of it all. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with Rachel where like, it's a very interesting question because we get so many different answers and a lot of them sort of dance around the similar area of what they're, they're trying to say. So it's always interesting to just sort of hear people in their own words describe a similar feeling. Mm-hmm. I love that we all have that similar feel. Like that kind of shows they're doing something right as a studio mm-hmm. that everybody Definitely. kind of comes away with something similar because it's hard. I think like if you ask what what makes a universal movie, like there's no answer to that because they do all sorts of different stuff and i mean one day a24 might get into that same thing the bigger that they get um, which yeah. we kind of talked about i guess in the last episode was just mm-hmm. how large they're getting now um but as of right now as of recording a24 mm-hmm. still vibes yes all right let us move on to our topic of the day what can i do you for waiting on a parcel we're surrounded by miles and miles Wayne Heard of wheat and canola fields. They murdered the mailman. <gasps> Where's the mail? They kidnapped him. So we got ourselves a video of a murder. Yes, sir. First murder this town has ever seen. The two badge murder video? You're really getting all that money? How much? A lifetime sum. Cut Bank was the feature directorial debut in so far only feature by Matt Shackman. He has since become more notable for directing all of the Marvel TV show WandaVision and having directed the most episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with 43 episodes under his belt. So far at least. The movie has an impressive cast for a debut film with the aforementioned Hemsworth, Palmar Malkovich, along with Bruce Stern, Michael Stuhlbarg, Billy Bob Thornton, and Oliver Platt. When a young couple accidentally films the murder of the town's mailman, Bruce Stern, the sheriff assumes it will be an easy case to solve. But as he digs deeper into finding the murderer, things stop making sense. The murder was actually staged, with Dern and Associates having faked it in order to collect $100,000. Things get extra messy when Darby Milton, Michael Stolbarg, the town's recluse, shows up looking for his package that the post office never delivered. The film premiered at the Los Angeles Film Festival in June of 2014, and the rights were purchased by A24 and DirecTV ahead of that year's TIFF. The movie premiered on DirecTV on February 26, 2015, and in theaters on April 3rd. 
This is going to be a spoiler-filled episode, so if you have not watched the film, we suggest doing so first. I think the place to start is this. Does a movie with a cast as impressive like this rise to the occasion, or does all the plot machinations just get in the way of telling an interesting crime thriller? Rachel? <laughs> I don't even know if there's an interesting crime thriller in there to be to be unverted. I really didn't like this movie. I thought it was really stupid. I won't lie. As I was going through it, so I don't know. So I don't even. I love Matt Sh- Shackman. I think I'm a big Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan, and so when I heard that this was like his only movie that he's directed, I was quite excited. Even though it's not a comedy and it's nothing to do with Always Sunny, but. He's directed some of the greatest Always Sunny episodes, like some really, some real classics from that show. So I, I don't know. Maybe I was expecting too much. I'm not sure, but it just I like I can't even say it's either. I just don't. I just don't think that there was anything good there. I I'm coming around on the idea that you don't necessarily need to do something new in every single movie because it's near impossible at this point. And I think sometimes if you're going to go down the road of a more paint by colors type of film. So if this is the more paint by colors kind of double crossing murder, it's not a thriller. There's no thrills like that kind of thing. Then I feel like you need to execute it really, really well. Like if it's going to be normal and I shouldn't say normal, if it's going to be something that is not unique, then make sure it's done really, really well. And I don't think that this is done even well personally so I, I can't even say that i don't think it's either to your question <laughs> i just don't think it's a very good movie it was a bit of a trick question because i i agree <laughs> with you uh daniel i'd love to get your thoughts on on the movie did you like it or do you agree with rachel and i that it's maybe not that good no i didn't like it i think <laughs> my um so like rachel i knew matt shackman uh as it's always sunny. And I think I have a couple other shows that I really like in addition to the guy who's going to do fantastic four and did WandaVision. So I thought like, okay, this might be like that John Watts movie cop car where it's like stripped down, but you still get something about why a Marvel would want to work or have a name attached. I know that people debate about how much input the actual directors get, but like why you would want to pick someone like this. And I just like, ah, like, this just seems like a movie he got to do. And then it really was based on the TV stuff that he'd done that they wanted to be associated with him. Um, and I do think, uh, I, I think this solidified. I'm not a Liam Hemsworth fan <laughs> of, of all the, of all the casting, like, and I'm not saying there's bad, it's bad cast. I was just more like, yeah, I just can't get over that. I have to be like, I think that's kind of deflated that I was like, I don't care if he gets away with this. I just don't like him. And um, there's nothing he can do about it really. And so, yeah, I didn't like it. And I think I had expectations going into it. So maybe that's playing against the movie as well. I feel like, no, I just think it's a bad movie. Like I had similar, I just don't think it's a good movie. And I'm actually, after you said that, Daniel, I'm realizing, I think this is the first thing I've ever seen Liam Hemsworth in. I don't think I've ever watched him in anything uh, else. I've only seen him in the Hunger Games stuff, if I'm being honest. No, yeah, I'm not I've sure. Never, I've seen him in some comedies. but I've never I just, watched the Hunger Games. Um, it's fine. You don't have to. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe it'll be your favorite thing. I don't know. I, it's fine. Uh, can yeah, I ask? I, oh, yeah. 
I was going to say, can I ask you guys, so if we're all in agreement that none of us are really feeling this movie, was there a point when you're watching it that you went, oh, this movie's just not for me? Like, was there, mm. do you guys recall having a point in the movie where you just thought, oh, I don't think this is going to be the movie for me? <laughs> I honestly, I'm, this is going to sound like a joke, but when I read, oh, Liam Hemsworth is the lead, not just a person <laughs> in it, I was like, oh, this isn't for me. And then, so really what happened was there was moments where I was like, oh, maybe I will be wrong about this movie. Like anytime Bruce Dern got to do something, I was mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm, I'm into this. Like, let's keep going with the Bruce Dern stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was knowing that it was actually a vehicle for Liam Hemsworth, and because they could have focused more on Malkovich if they mm-hmm. wanted to, but they didn't. So I was just like, yeah, I think it was confirmed as the movie went along that it wasn't for me when they just kept sticking with Liam Hemsworth. Dakota, how about you? Was there a moment? Um, sort of similar to. Daniel, I I haven't seen Liam Hemsworth and anything else, so like you, I can't really compare it. Uh, But like, it was like, as soon as he was showing up on screen, I was like, oh man, he is not a good actor and kind of explained why he's not nor near as famous as his brother is. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you you talk about the Bruce Stern sort of stuff and, you know, he's playing this weird crotchety old man, which is something Bruce Stern, you know, does so well. And like, I just couldn't get past like, his motivations of like the sort of stuff that he was doing and saying. And as the plot was sort of progressing, I was like, man, this movie is trying really hard to be Fargo except for it's not good. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, what's, what's the difference? And so the difference to me is Fargo was written obviously by the Coen brothers uh, to have really dumb characters where cut bank was just written by a dumb person. (laughs) <laughs> that that is my yeah estimation of like this movie's trying so hard to be fargo like so much so that there's like you know lines of like oh cut bank is the the, the coldest town in in america and you know oliver platt shows up and he's like i'm how is this the coldest town in america i'm sweating more than a whore in church sort of thing which you know is playing on the fargo <laughs> thing of you know that feels like probably one of the coldest movies i've ever watched everything about that movie is just ice cold and mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the double crossing, the the single cop who might be the only somewhat intelligent person in town, but, you know, is a little over their head. And you get all the stuff of, you know, the, the inept criminals, all that sort of stuff and some very violent actions, which is very Fargo-like in Coen Brothers in general. All that sort of stuff just feels like, oh, man, we're, we're just going to really sort of hammer home the Fargo comparisons, except for none of it is as good as Fargo. Not like it, it like you. you I can't even like make up an analogy of of how it can't hold a candle. It can't, you know, whatever you want to say. Uh, it, it, it's it's trying hard to be Fargo, but it ain't that. It's it's funny you said that because as you said, I'm like, oh, that is what they were trying to do. But I didn't because I didn't think it was good. Like I wasn't even like comparing it to Fargo in my mind. Like as it was like even to the point of they have Malkovich like throw up when he sees stuff. I know. Yep. It's different in Fargo because she's pregnant. Yes, but she's pregnant. I, it's yeah. it, but like it feels like that because I was like, why is he like that? It didn't really you know, seem. Yeah, he's the folksy like sheriff who's kind of nice. Also, you know, he's very dedicated and is going to like stick his nose to the ground and figure out the crime, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But then at the end of the movie, he's still willing to be like, all right, put these two bullets in it and then you can go. Don't worry about it. I have so many issues yeah. with that. I'm like, yes. The body's been dead for like a few days, right? We know that. 
any good doctor, they're going to go, why are there fresh yeah. bullet wounds? <laughs> like, yeah. What's going on here? Like forensics has, have we have improved to a point that you can tell these things that when I was like, what kind of a cop thinks that this is a good idea? Like they know that this is not how it works. And, yeah. and he put like the, the bulletproof vest underneath it. I was like, my God, this whole thing is just. I almost looked up if that would make a difference. I was like, is that something I don't know? Like put the bulletproof vest under the body. Like what is, what's happening? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. And the angle I, he shot him from was very awkward in my mind. I was mm-hmm. like, that's, yeah. I, I was trying to think of how he was going to shoot the body. And I was like, I didn't think it was just going to be like, I don't know how tall John Malkovich is, but I feel like it's kind of close. Anyway, I'm over, clearly overthinking it more than this, the screenwriter over that didn't think about it that way. So, but I, I remember thinking that was stupid and weird. I just, yeah, this movie entirely, I you talk about the Coen brothers saying like, oh, they're stupid characters, but, and I, I don't watch enough Coen brothers to kind of make that comparison, but it's like, no, none of these characters are stupid. That's the thing. And if they were stupid, mm-hmm. maybe it would have been a, a better movie. Like if they were just dumb, then you could have gone the more comedic route. And then also probably Shackman would have been in his bag then, like, cause that's what mm-hmm. he knows how to do. Yeah. So why not go full? If you're going to do partly Coen brothers homage, why not just go full on Coen Brothers? Yeah, I'd, and then like another know. reference I'm seeing is not, not the main poster. I guess the main poster that you see on like IMDb looks like very much like a Norman Rockwell sort of painting of the mailbox. Mm-hmm. But the other one that I, I see most frequently about it is it's a pair of glasses with a bullet hole through it, which feels mm-hmm. a lot like the Dustin Hoffman movie uh, Straw Dogs, the Sam Peckinpah directed mm-hmm. movie, oh, where that's what the yeah. poster for that is of is is a bullet hole through glasses. And so I'm just like these movies that you're you're sort of referencing and using as the palette for for this isn't showing up at all. This is not second Sam Peckinpah. This is not the Coen brothers. Like what are you trying to do here? They were not setting themselves up for success. No. Putting those expectations <laughs> on the movie. This is a, that's the worst thing you could possibly do though, isn't it? With a movie is like make it seem close and similar enough that it will evoke the memory and like the right. attitude of a bunch of other filmmakers. But yet you yourself don't find your own lane. And it's also just not done well like that. Is probably the worst thing to come out. I used to say the worst thing to come out of a movie was like no feeling whatsoever. <laughs> like you don't mm-hmm. hate it. You don't like it. You're just like, whatever, that was two hours of my time. But maybe the worst thing actually is, is evoking the memory of a bunch of other much better filmmakers just to highlight the inadequacy of yourself. Making people be like, I wish I was watching the better movie yeah. right now instead of this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That, that's actually probably worse than coming out of a movie theater being like, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> that was something. Yeah. So we basically have like an A plot and a B plot as far as the actual crime thriller aspect goes, because you got this A plot of, you know, Bruce Dern, we we see at the very beginning of the movie, he is shot dead. I'm doing air quotes here, but it turns out it was (laughs) faked because they're trying to collect $100,000. And so you get the the sort of police investigation of trying to figure out uh, who killed the policeman, where did the body go, all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, the the, the plot, you know, the the, the loose ends start loosening up, basically. And then you have the B plot of Derby Milton, this Michael Stuhlbarg character, who is single-mindedly trying to find his package that we see uh, is in the back of the mail truck that uh, Bruce Stern was driving and, you know, it ends up going into a storage locker. And all we see is it looks like a lunchbox and it has uh, a post a post tag on it or whatever saying that it's addressed to him. Or, and so 
he then is unwavering in his um, pursuit of trying to get this package back. And we don't really know why, what it is, what's in this box, what's he needed for, all that sort of stuff. Obviously, it eventually all becomes clear. But for some reason, it really kind of feels like we're watching two different movies here and mm-hmm. it takes a long time for the plots to overlap. And when they finally do, you're just like, okay, and I, why am I supposed to care about this? Did, did it feel as confusing to, to the two of you as it did to me? I came in here hoping that you guys weren't confused because I was like, I don't – like, I like Michael Stuhlberg a lot. So I was mm-hmm. rooting for his storyline. But when it got to the end of it, I was like, well, seems like we needed to cut one of these storylines or like have it just be more connected because i didn't understand fully why both things were in the movie i don't think i thought too much about it i'll be honest with you. <laughs> i was just kind of like yeah all right these things are happening yeah but if i if i stop and think about it yeah it does feel like too i like for me it was like bruce stern's he felt like he was in a different movie yeah like a better too. like i felt like he thought he was in a better movie and he was so trying, he's, yeah. He's really going for it. And I'm like, Bruce, this it's not this kind of movie. <laughs> you, you can just settle <laughs> down here. Um but yeah, I, I suppose but if you take one out I don't know, does it make the movie any better though? If you take one out? No, because it's still a bad movie. No. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, sure. It, it's not like it was a long movie. So I guess it didn't it's not like we're saving time or something and making it clean it was more just i it felt like a waste of it does no i agree with that it does and yeah i think the thing with with um michael stubar's ending or his story was like it just doesn't feel like they earned that type of an ending that kind of more emotionally psychological twist that they wanted to throw mm-hmm. onto this movie. Cause it, the movie doesn't feel like that at all. Like it feels more, it's not thrilling, but it feels more like they're going for that. Like that kind of thriller cop, you know, murder mystery kind of thing. And so then when you try to throw mm-hmm. in this psychosis kind of thing, I just don't feel like it's very, it doesn't feel very earned. Maybe that's why it kind of sticks out a little bit more as being, just well, take it point, out. Actually, yeah, I definitely didn't think it was earned. So, yeah, that's probably what I was bumping up against. I think there was yeah. also sort of tonal issues with it as well. Because, okay, regardless of the fact that it sort of fails as a Fargo knockoff, that's that's the sort of thing that they're going for as far as it being you know a small town uh, murder mystery sort of thing. So we get that aspect of all of it, and then you know in the back half of the movie when the Derby Milton stuff, Michael Stuhlbarg stuff, becomes more prominent, it kind of turns into Psycho. And you mm-hmm. get like this, you know, a, a couple scenes of, you know, almost horror-esque type of, of stuff when, you know, John Malkovich is searching his uh, house and, mm-hmm. you know, same as with like Silence of the Lambs or Psycho or whatever you want to call it of like going into the creepy house and you're not sure what you're going to see or what you're going to find. And, and so, you know, there is a bit of tension there because they do bring that aspect, but it just feels so out of place and disjointed from the rest of it. Even so, like... Almost feels like Michael Stuhlberg feels like his character has superpowers because like he comes in, he comes in and he's able, like he's this meek, you know, quiet guy and you know, he stutters and all this sort of stuff. And then like someone will like try to push him around and he's able to literally choke slam him up a wall and -hmm. throw him across the room. And then you get this like really terrifying imagery of when he chases them to the high school 
in the beauty pageant and he and he's behind a locked door and he's just slowly banging on the glass and that was pretty terrifying michael storbark's a fantastic actor I'm, I'm right there with you daniel of like i'm a huge fan of him and he he was probably the other than bruce stern probably committed to this movie the most as far as what his mm-hmm. character was even if his character was completely wrong for this movie it goes back to what daniel was saying though towards the beginning of saying wouldn't the movie have just been better if you don't focus on Liam Hemsworth? And I yeah. understand why they did because he probably was the selling point of the film just in terms of his <laughs> last name. And like, I assume this was around the time of, uh, was this around the time of hunger games? Probably something like that. So this came out in 2015. Be. Yeah. I catch. Yeah. Hunger games are 2012, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Right. So you're so, writing yeah, off right of the, yeah. the goodwill that he has from those movies. So I, I get why, you know, kind of on the, business side of things why you focus in on on him and and his his sad eyes he has such sad eyes doesn't he He just looks like like just so sad he's got like doe eyes all the time um but the more interesting story would have been john malkovich and michael stuhlberg like focus on the two of them and that actually could have been almost like zodiac like like i feel like you could have had like a really interesting yeah. do your serial killer thing there, yeah probably. like that could have mm-hmm. been a much more interesting um movie but i assume because they wanted to push liam and his girlfriend who is very inconsequential to this movie by the way um then they go <laughs> that way instead so really i think when we say that they feel like they or the michael stewart um, storyline doesn't feel like it fits in it's almost like saying that should have been the movie actually because it doesn't fit into a bad movie it should be a good movie yeah well, you're right about I think her name is Candace or like Teresa Palmer character yeah it's I felt like it undercut the Liam Hemsworth motivations because it's like that's his <laughs> girlfriend and she seems perfectly happy with their life so it's not <laughs> like it's not like there's like they're really like like she is looking forward to being part of this pageant and like being yeah. part of like cut bank history and he's like nah I got this plan we're gonna get a hundred thousand dollars to get out of here I'm like oh I didn't think that about that like you're right she's that, very content with her life like, she doesn't happy. have an issue at all and it also seems questionable how much she knows at w- certain points because early on it kind of seems like she understands the plan a little bit. Because we never get a scene of like Liam Hemsworth explaining to her, being like, oh, since we filmed uh, someone being killed, we can get $100,000 sort of thing. And But she knows that money is coming. And then later it sort of seems like she doesn't know what's going on. And then very end, when we get the ridiculous scene of John Malkovich shooting uh, a dead body, uh, they're like, and don't ever tell her. And it's like right. So what did she know? What did did she know anything? Did she know everything? Like, that kind of made me feel like she obviously doesn't know anything because they were like, and you can't tell, tell her about her. this. Yeah. You just take the money and go. I also thought that this movie was going in a very particular way at the like the very opening scene between the two of them, Liam Hemsworth and Teresa Palmer, when he's like, um, "I we've been waiting for you to graduate." I was like, "Oh my god, what is what kind of movie are we watching?" And then and then he's like, "It's been three years." I'm like, "Oh, okay, okay, I get where they're going with this." But at the beginning, I was like, "What?" Because I didn't look up anything about what this movie was about. So I was like, "Oh, oh, it's this kind of movie. This is odd." I was like, "Wow," but then. And it turned out okay. It turned out okay. It was it wasn't the kind of movie I thought. Maybe that movie would have been more interesting. That it would have been dicey, but it would have been a much more interesting movie than this one. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Interestingly enough, both Teresa Palmer and Liam Hemsworth are Australian. So uh, yeah. yeah, their American accents are 
pretty decent. Yeah, I did. I didn't. I mean, I knew Liam Hemsworth was Australian, but um, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't even think to think about that with Trace Palmer. So well done, well done. Yeah. I have no comments about Liam Hemsworth's accent. I think it's fine. He's just not a very good actor, is he? No, he's. This awful. is my thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I have uh, uh, something I want to discuss here. Uh, you know, since we're talking about the beauty pageant that Teresa Palmer was a, a part of. So um, in a town of 3,000 people that we're told is Cutbank, Montana, the population, that would mean uh, about 49% of the population is female, which is about 1,740 people. Then if we assume the age group of the pageant contestants is between um, <laughs> 18 and 24, sort of the only age group that, uh, sorry, the the pageant contestants between uh, 18 and 24, that would be 13%. That works out to being about 191 women. Uh, and, you know, if we uh, if we space it out even more, then becomes between 18 and 25, uh, 114 women per year are eligible to participate in the Cut Bank Miss, sorry, Miss Cut Bank Beauty Pageant. Is that enough women to have a pageant, considering I imagine a sizable portion of that group might never want to participate? <laughs> <sighs> That this is what was this was what was wrinkling my brain when watching this movie of how in a town of three thousand people is there enough young girls to part have this every year? My main <laughs> comment to your question was going to be that's how scintillating this movie was that you went through and did all of those calculations while watching it. That this yeah. is this is where it comes out. I decided I mean, to look up like, U.S. demographics. They just need like ten girls a year, right? Yeah, yeah. look, yeah. if you win a pageant between three people, you still won. You're still you're still number one. That's Ooh, I mean, exciting. Well, pageants are stupid anyway. Let's be completely honest. <laughs> no offense to anybody if there they're listening that. and they they compete in them, but like, what what are they really about? You know, and I know that in small towns, like their thing. And I I, I did actually like the 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 random storyline of the um. I think she was a bartender in it who who was a former Miss Cutbank. Her boss was like, yeah, you know, I was Miss Cutbank. And I just happened to have a picture of me in my back pocket. Here you go. <laughs> just, <laughs> At just all times. Just that out for you. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I like that. It's, I'm really pulling at straws, but it's like, I like that little detail because I think it shows it is that small town mentality, right? Especially small town American mentality. Like those things are a big deal. And it kind of goes against the movie again like to daniel's point she's very happy (laughs) like she was very happy to to work towards this pageant like she was clearly Mm -hmm. working hard she was rehearsing and um was really feeling it and then goes on there and then it's like it's a big deal and then she's upset when he's not there right but even then it seemed like she got over it because like well i'm just gonna go find him i guess (laughs) that was the worst is it the worst scene in the movie i think it might be is when she's coming towards like um when she goes to his dad's place or i guess their Mm -hmm. place and and liam hemsworth just has this the most pitiful look on his face as she's watching him or he's watching her like very slowly walk towards him be like babe are you in here Day? And he's just like, oh, don't come closer. And I'm like, just yeah. tell her to leave. Like, but anyways. Help but no, I, 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 to your question, Dakota, I think if you win a beauty pageant, one person, 100 people, five contestants, a winner's a winner. That's fine. All right. Fair enough. Isn't then. it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And if you have 114 <laughs> women per year that are eligible based on my calculations, you know, that, that, I guess that's enough. I think 100. That that's sizable. Enough. That's sizable. But like, say it definitely if you, was bigger than I went, thought it was going to be. 
say like you you did a race against just one other person and it's just the two of you in your town and you you did like you know i don't know 200 meter dash kind of thing and you won you still won even if it's just competing against one other person you still won i'm not gonna be proud of that (laughs) no wouldn't the implication be like you were the two people that everyone believed was the fastest and you you beat the the other fastest person it's like the donovan bailey mike johnson race from back in the 90s are you are you telling me you donovan bailey shouldn't have been proud of that is that what you're trying to say dakota (laughs) well you know they were also both olympic athletes so yes and and this young lady is the donovan bailey of cutback (laughs) i guess i don't know much about uh pageants because in my head i'm i'm usually thinking about like in movies where there's only like the five like finalists on stage but i guess maybe you do need more than (laughs) your math brought out per year (laughs) i also gonna like matt shackman again just talking about always sunny since we get the chance to he directed the um, the Frank's Little Beauties episode. Awesome. I which just is that episode. such a good episode. <laughs> and he, he did that. So that's there. It's a I, it's relevant to what we're talking about because <laughs> it's a beauty pageant. <laughs> but that episode is tremendously amazing. Uh, uh, I don't know where else to even go with this. <laughs> who, who, who throws out a whole pie when given that? Bruce Stern in the very beginning is given a pie. We're like, we're led to believe he's this nice mailman. And this old lady is like, Oh, thank you for my mail. Here's my pie. Here's a pie for you. He goes, Oh, thank you. And they like throws in the garbage, her garbage can. Was it, was it supposed to be like the uh, anti save the cat thing? Like just show early (laughs) on how like terrible he is when he throws the pie away. Yeah. Because it gets in your head like, like, like who throws a pie away so automatically you're suspicious of this man you're like i don't trust this yeah. guy because who would throw away a homemade pie that's just given to them something's off with this guy see I mean, clever script already works i was like i don't ever trust a boost a booster character so i'm always just like, true, oh, actually yeah. he's up to something that's true has he, he ever played just like a away. straight good guy like has he ever he must have he's had such a according long to my mom yes he was like a teen heartthrob but oh. i that's okay. that's way before my time. Like okay. I, I the first time I saw him was on Big Love, so mm. my mom was like, "Oh, it's Bruce Stern," and I guess he was the teen heartthrob for a bit. I In Nebraska, he, he was like a nice guy. He was he was cantankerous, but he wasn't like an asshole. Wait, in this movie? No, in Nebraska. Oh. The uh, the Alexander Payne. Movie. That's true. That's true. I don't you know, know. What? I'm looking at Bruce Stern as a young man. Yeah, he can get it. He's good looking. He's handsome. <laughs> he can get so it. I will let my mom know she's right. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've seen pictures of him when he was younger. He was definitely a very handsome man. I mean, he's all right. When- yeah, I don't know how long that lasted, or if he was like a teen heartthrob, but still playing like the bad guy. I don't know. Even yeah, I, I have Dunn no idea. Do not look similar, though. I have to say, I don't think that they really look alike. Yeah, you just got to no, take but she for looks it. like her mother. Yeah, like there's photos of, of Bruce Stern with her mother, and she looks identical to her. Interesting. Oh, she does. Yeah. Okay, you're right. She does. I just saw a picture of her when she's young. That is yeah, exactly absolutely identical. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, what do we think of the Oliver Platt character who shows up? He's the big city guy from the capital, and every time and has to go, 
you mean DC? Every time he says the capital. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> is he the most annoying character in this movie? Well, oh, I, I completely think... forgot he was in this movie until you he just comes mentioned. Off as annoying because you would, th- or I would think that a character like that would be there to be like to be like a point of tension where you're like, oh no, they're not going to get the money because he figured them out. But uh, I didn't really feel that tension while watching it. So it was just like watching him be very complimentary about their food and like, you know, you know yeah. where the best steak is here, you know, where the best yeah. co- like cobbler is here. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> is he going to figure this out and like potentially get killed off or need to get bummed? Out? Like I, he just seemed to be there as like in general, I would get that he might be, someone that will find them out and make sure they don't get the money. But I don't think that's ultimately what happened. Okay. So I just finished this movie like less than three hours ago, but can somebody remind me what happens to his character in the end? Like how, how does his storyline resolve? He shows up after uh, Billy Bob has shot the corpse. Right. Basically to sign off on the paperwork to give the money away. Like, yeah. So they're getting the money and they give some of it to, or just money they have to, uh, is his name Liam? Yeah, Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> but it, but the idea is that they get the money from the the thing, right? Yeah. So so his character is just basically there to be like, I'm checking you all out, and yeah. in the end, he goes, Yeah, we got it. You're good. So yeah. he's so that that's just okay. Because he was he was like, <laughs> I want to get out of this town. All I need to do is see the dead body, and we're good to go. And so this is him seeing the dead body and like oh yeah he was shot clearly all right cool here's your money (laughs) i loved the little detail that he has the bluetooth um just to show that he's like a real right uh, like yankee like a real up north kind of business guy like that that's that's the the key is to have that what do they do now that nobody really wears those anymore those blue because that was the sign for a really Mm -hmm. long time that a character was just interrupt them with a cell phone call (laughs) I, I had to look yeah, it up because they show a cell phone, but it's like a flip phone. So I had to like, yeah. I, I was like, how old is this movie? He was the most yeah. trusting person in this movie though. He's, he's just like, okay, <laughs> that's it. He yeah, was, you, yeah, you said, really you said someone got shot. There they are. <laughs> no further questions. That is actually true. He just took everybody for their word. To, to the point you kind of wonder like, why were they so concerned about it then? Well, maybe that's why John Malkovich as the sheriff. Okay. Okay. So maybe John Malkovich's character knows. Look, I all I need to show is the gunshot wounds. They're not going to look at it that closely. So even if they're fresh or not, no one's doing that. Right. So maybe that solves that plot hole right there. It does. I'll, like it's it's still do we're doing dumb. it. We're doing it, guys. Yeah. We're putting this movie yeah, together. Because <laughs> like I imagine what would happen is. Oliver Platt doesn't actually care about the circumstances, the the why, the mm-hmm. how, all that sort of stuff. He just needs proof that there is this body that a government worker was killed. Uh, and then I imagine Billy Bob, uh, sorry, uh, John Malkovich as the sheriff is willing to sign off on the coroner report that he was shot and then he was later tortured and beat to death or whatever was the official cause of death. So I, I'm guessing that's where the fraud sort of comes in, which then becomes a completely different movie because we've spent this whole movie watching John Malkovich being uh, an upstanding yeah. member of, of keeping the law. And then it's like, at the end, it's like, hey, you know, it's just 100,000. Who cares? Also taken out a silencer as well, which I yeah, right? thought only bad guys had silencers. I associate <laughs> silencers with bad people, not not cops. That's why and he's like, I've never fired my weapon like- before. 
he clearly likes guns. But like he was like he was like oh dead body uh, and I was like, yeah what? <laughs> that's true I, I and I'm I'm willing to admit that I might have missed a scene where like we learn that he really just does that to throw people off the scent but like I thought I it was gonna play into it more that he was so like like it would have been like oh he solved it even though he has this big aversion oh. to blood but the, the, didn't really play into it and in fact he seemed like as you said he had like a silencer out and he was like pew, pew, and <laughs> shoots uh michael stilbarg no problem with okay wait oh i thought he shot bruce dern at the end he, he shoot yeah he, he meant shooting michael stuhlbarg in the police chase when he's trying oh to- oh right yeah, right yeah, right sorry. okay so shot, okay yeah, no, no no that makes sense did i miss something here's another you guys can clarify for me a movie i literally just stopped watching a few hours ago if they need to see a body right and i presume that bruce dern as a member of the postal office is aware of this like if they know going into this little shenanigan that they're trying to pull that they're gonna need to see a body (laughs) did they ever say like how they were gonna no do that (laughs) like if that's their plan so if he needs a body and presuming brewster knows that was it supposed to be just like oh we'll just show the video and that'll be enough oh i think so 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 basically what would have happened assuming nothing went to shit is basically they film the fake murder happening. They show it to the police and like, oh, damn, that's terrible. All right. Yeah. So the process is uh, we just need to verify the dead body and then we'll send you the check. And then they'd all look at each other and go, I'm sorry, what? You need, <laughs> you need what from us? Yeah. <laughs> so this worked out better than Liam could have ever imagined. Because <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I, mean, I think maybe they were banking on it. We have video of it, so that'll be enough. But that makes sense. It does feel I also, like you would need to be like, just show me the body, please. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like it was like, oh, um, like he went missing. It was just right. we know he got shot. So if you know he got shot, where'd the body go? Yeah. Um But was one other stupid thing about this movie is Bruce Stern's character, why did he hide out in his old office? Of all places, if you're trying to be a dead man and presumably untraceable, why would you still just be hanging out in your office or like your? Well, it wasn't his office. That was Billy Bob Thornton's office, but it was an abandoned dump. And yeah, they, they had dialogue it. about like, oh, oh, no one's been there in forever or something yeah. like that. I got you. And then, but I do think he there. even gets in trouble. Like I think um, Liam takes him to task for that though at some point like, what are you right doing he here? does yeah he does he does but i don't does. remember the what i guess he he said whatever liam said which is oh no one comes around here anyway right but then he got found out because he left his puffer on the i like i like yeah. when uh when an inhaler is the turning point of a of a plot is that oh the inhaler right. i have and... to admit i did feel a bit of a thrill when he didn't have a puffer <laughs> and he was like gonna have to gasp for air i'm like oh they're gonna find him out but uh that was short-lived Think if you're a wheezing man, you wouldn't hide out underneath a grate where they would you just be like, hear I, you and see you. You know what? I was just about to say I would have just tried to make a run for it, but he does try to make a run for it and it doesn't yeah. work. He does. And then he turns around and can breathe just fine to go and attack <laughs> and almost kill Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, because yeah, I thought he was going to go back into the building or to that little room and grab his puffer first no he, yeah maybe he, he did it off camera maybe it was life. off camera maybe we just didn't see that maybe okay you know 
I'm willing to give the movie that. Yeah. Maybe he he did go in, took a couple puffs, got his breath back, and then went out and did the <laughs> Billy Bob was just really polite and, was and like, he was waiting. Like, he was just like, fair. You you take your time. You take your time, let's do this. Maybe that's what happened. Off camera. Off camera. I don't know. For me, I think the best part of the movie was the end credit song, which is a Hank Williams song called yes. Cut Bank Montana. And I was like, oh, man, this is actually a pretty good song. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was an original song for the movie or not, but I just looked it up and it came out in 1992. Okay. So, yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I had this a similar thought process of like, oh, like, wow, this is. They do have a cut bank song. Like, that's cool. And then <laughs> I didn't go further to look up when it, when it came out. I was just like, that's oh, just nice. I think I assumed it was like from the 70s or something. I don't know. So, so cut bank is a real place. I thought it was it is. a fictional town. Oh, okay. I kept, when I was like searching for this movie, I kept searching for cut back. Because um, I just, in my head, this is called cut back, not cut bank. And then it kept like, and I kept getting these weird things. I was like, oh, it's not called Cutback. So it is a real place. That's interesting. That's good to know. Good to know. There's many layers to this movie, and you guys are helping me fill in a lot of, not really, a lot of the gaps, but, you know, some are still there, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Do we have any last things we, we kind of want to talk about before we get into our games? Any last plot points? I think we covered it all. I mean, other than he was the the box he wanted was to like complete a place that oh, he had. Oh yeah, his, his we basement. didn't want to talk about that. That was, I guess, the most Norman Bates of it all. Was he's like, mm-hmm. at first I was like, wait, are these humans that he like dressed up? And then I was like, oh no, I guess the movie doesn't want to go that far. But like, I was just like, what is what is this? This is what he's going around killing people for? Yeah. I was very confused. And uh, and yeah. they, these mannequins, I don't know if they were, but they looked so human-like. And then we mm-hmm. never get to see them again. We, ne- we we have no follow-up information about what this was all about. And why is it that it takes him, he can only order one item per year yeah. to get this? I don't, I, I don't know. Was it? Because he's the guy, um, what's his, Milton, that guy. He's mm-hmm. uh, like a taxidermist, right? So yeah. is it is it meant to be that those are corpses and like he taxidermies? That's, that's what, what I thought. I was questioning. That's what I thought. I like, Which is that that's creepy. And again, see, this is this is why that is the more interesting storyline. <laughs> and like, if we had just followed him or John Malkovich, one of the two, then it could or be that much John Malkovich is following him, and that we don't have a story about the postal service paying out a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> for proof of beating up a postal worker. <laughs> We could just do that. <laughs> we don't need that part. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess the implication is that they're not mannequins, but they're taxidermied bodies, which is which is super creepy. Right. Like I'm that glad I'm not the, the only one that thought it. I kind of just was like, no, it couldn't be, it couldn't be. But I was like, is this supposed to be real people? I like to, I to your know. point, Dakota. They know. look really real. Like they don't look mm-hmm. like mannequins. They do look like human beings. So. I don't know. I guess so. Because if it's mannequins, then it's weird, but it's not like it's not a crime just to have mannequins. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. It's just weird, not that it's, it's not illegal. Like it's, it. Yeah. Whereas like if, if this is like a taxidermy situation, then 
that's a situation. Yeah. That's a, re- yeah. but then again, that ha- happens right at the end of the movie. And so you see it and you, it's on screen for what, like a, a minute, maybe a not even second. probably. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's done. And then you're like, Oh, that, that's what he wanted the lunchbox for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, it's just kind of used to close a loop, I suppose, of just saying like, yeah, I kind of feel like, I wonder if this movie is like, um, I haven't looked at it. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking about this too much, but do you guys know the movie exposed by Keanu Reeves? No, it's not by him. No. He, he's in it. Him and Anna de Armas are in it. Huh? And okay, it's about I'm thinking of the trailer now. So like when they signed on to do the movie, the focus was Anna de Armas's character, but then I believe it was Lionsgate wanted to change it. And then they focused in on Keanu Reeves. character. So this is like a mystery thrillery cop kind of movie as well. Like it's similar ish in a way. And then they ended up editing it so that it came from the perspective of Keanu Reeves and the movie's terrible that way. But recently, Mm. I think at the beginning of the year, somebody mentioned that there was, um, I, I, sorry, I noticed a post on Twitter that uh, there is now a cut where it's the original from Anna de Armas's character's point of view. Maybe that's what happened to this movie, guys. Maybe it's not that it's a bad movie. Maybe just somebody got in the way in like the editing, and then Liam Hemsworth ended up being the focal point, which he shouldn't have been. I'm giving this movie a lot of grace. I'm trying to find something about it that maybe there's a reason why it's this bad. I appreciate that because it does feel like how did so many people that you would consider talented come Mm -hmm. and produce this. And maybe this is, maybe that's the key is that somewhere in the edit they lost, they lost what they initially had. And it does happen all the time. I mean, when I joined in on this call, um, you two guys were talking about Snyder and I mean, like not to get into a whole Snyder discussion, but like that was a big thing for his movie too. Like it does happen quite a bit. And then like David Ayer says the same thing happened to him. Mm So conceivably, maybe the reason that we keep talking about how these two storylines seem just not at all cohesive with one another and they seem like just different movies or like one shouldn't be there, one is better, da 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 Maybe the whole point is, is that there's something else going on behind it. But because nobody's big enough in it and nobody's really said anything, they just kind of move on with their lives yeah. and not make a big Twitter campaign about it um, to release the Shackman, Shakeman cut. Do that. <laughs> no, no yeah. offense, Snyder. Unless fans. we started that with this episode, yeah, <laughs> this is this is what we'll do with this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we will get into our games. It was colder than a well digger's ankles in Cutbank, Montana. But my heart was on fire when I saw her step down from the train I'd been up there forever, but her arms were finally around me All my icicles melted away at the sound of her name Okay, so the first game that we are going to play is Would You Rather. Uh, do we do Would You Rather or Double Bill Bearing first, Rachel? I don't remember. I think we usually... Uh, is there usually an order? <laughs> I don't know. I have Double Bill first, but I also could have copied that down wrong from the email. I don't know if we do it in a specific order. I feel like we just... 
We just let's go double bill bearing first because if that's why I put in the email to you, Daniel, then that's what we're going to do. Uh, so what we're going to do is uh, make a double bill pairing, and the only uh, stipulation is that it cannot be another A twenty four film. So Daniel, as our guest, uh, you go first. Well, you know, it's <laughs> thank you for letting me go first. I. <laughs> Uh, we really didn't like this movie, so now I feel like maybe this won't be a great double bill, but I chose a simple plan. Now, for two reasons. One, you get you get to see some range from Billy Bob Thornton if you're watching both of these movies. Uh, and two, it did feel like a bit like, you know, these small-town people that are have these dreams that kind of don't go the way they want to uh, based on a, a certain amount of money. And uh, Obviously, different um, different ways of getting at that money, but I thought maybe that would be a good double feature is uh, watching A Simple Plan in this movie. But uh, after talking about it, and I'd say maybe you just it would be a little too heavy weight, heavily weighted in one direction. Maybe it would be like a, a tonic. It would be like a tonic to the other movie. Right, like, yeah. That's so maybe finish with A Simple Plan. Yeah. A hundred, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, oh, yeah. you you would want this to be the second one. No, no, you'd want this to be the second one. I haven't seen it actually. I had to even look it up, but yeah, yeah, I neither have I. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. It's interesting. It, it's different. Um, for one, no, the the, yeah. the female characters actually have a point of view in it and uh, oh. are just like happy to be there. No. Um, oh wait, actually, no. I just watched this not too long ago. Never mind. I didn't like it very much. Oh, well, then maybe it would be a good double, good double bill for you that burned them both. <laughs> oh, no, it. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of a different Bill Paxton, Billy Bob Thornton movie, and that was uh, One False Move. Oh, yeah. Is no, this is, this is the Sam Raimi. Um, they yeah, find some money and uh, can can uh, these four friends survive this bag of money? No, I am not familiar with this movie at all. I should... I, I like Bill Paxton, so I should go watch it. He's good. He's really good at it. Yeah, he's good, dude. Good dude. Okay. okay. Cool. Uh, Rachel, what is your double bill pairing then? So I was inspired by something I said. I was <laughs> inspired by myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> that in Earlier in the episode of just saying, like, if you're going to do a typical film, you don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel. Just do it well. And it got me thinking about a movie that I recently saw, uh, relatively recently anyways, in the movie Sharper, um, which was on Apple mm. TV Plus, And it just came out in February of this year. So, oh, no. It's technically an A24 movie. Is it? I just realized that. Okay. Well, then this doesn't count. It is. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I was going to say it was just because it's um, it's not a particularly, like, blow your mind movie like it's not anything great but i just think it's done really well like for that genre of constant plot twists happening like one too many plot twists in my opinion on this movie and it's it's a very like you can see what you know what's going to happen you know who the bad guys are you know like you if you've seen a couple like these mystery psychology psychological mystery type movies you'll know what the ending is but it's still done well and it's still and so i just thought it was a good example of that done well but it i just realized yeah it's also distributed by a24 in the states so mm. that doesn't count i do like the cast do you, let me i'll do mine rachel and you think of something different <sighs> go ahead <laughs> okay so there is another movie where a character named milton 
who is considered odd by everyone else. He has something important taken away from him and becomes single-mindedly obsessed with its return. Can you guess what movie I'm talking about? No. No? No. Rachel, any guesses? I don't got anything. Milton. Okay. I believe that Cut Bank is a direct sequel to Office Space, and it is about (laughs) Milton, who is played by Stephen Root, goes mad that his red swing line stapler is stolen from him, and he gains superpowers because of it. (laughs) But then they switched from the swing line to the Boston stapler, but I kept my swing line stapler because it didn't bind up as much, and and I kept the staples for the swing line stapler. Yeah, I get I see where you're going with that. Yeah, (laughs) I I get that. I get it. Yeah, Yeah, why not? My double bill pairing is specifically just for that joke. Yeah, well done. Very well done. Yeah, you know, was, I like yeah. how I, was like, I feel like this oh, whole man, episode was building towards that joke. <laughs> like you were just 100% building. It was well worth it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch mine over to a movie. I already mentioned it, but I'm gonna say Zodiac because I think the best part of uh, Cut Back, not Bank, Bank. Thank you. <laughs> cut Back, Cut Bank is. Um, yeah, is is that is is the Michael Stewart storyline. So I'm gonna go with Zodiac, which is I feel like could have been another good reference point for the movie if they had just focused in on that side of things. Um mm-hmm. like the serial killer. Although we would know who the serial killer is in this point. But anyways, yeah, I'm gonna go with that. But Sharper was my original one. It's just that's A twenty four. Who knew that was A twenty four? I had no idea I didn't know. Who knew? Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. All right, so now we'll move on to the would you rather portion. So, Daniel, what is your would you rather question for us? Boy, I am regrettably terrible at would you rathers, but. Oh, you (laughs) should hear mine, Daniel. They're so bad. (laughs) Don't worry at all. We can do it improv style where you ask follow up questions to really get to the what is the actual answer. (laughs) But the would you rather is. I looked up her name and then I forgot it right away. The, The. Teresa Palmer character is actually called Cassandra. Would you rather be uh, the person, her choreographer, while she's gearing up for uh, Miss Cutbank, or her trusted friend that she asks, like, hey, what do you think of the routine? Oh. I'd rather oh, be no. the friend. Yeah. You I, I'm fine name? lying. Yep. You'd rather be the friend? <laughs> I'd rather be yeah. friend. I could lie about that and just be like, yeah, no. And also, too, you just have to see it once. You just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yep. good. That's good. No, no, no. If you're the she's, choreographer. She's, this is why you got to ask the the follow up questions. She oh. will be she will be checking in with you every time she learns a new step, and she will be. Uh, you guys are really good friends, so she knows when you're lying. Oh, that's sneaky. That's sneaky. Okay, then I go. I am, I'm going to go good. choreographer. Is the choreographer her friend too? Is like, or is this no, like a this third is just party someone choreographer? She, yeah, you're just making some money to make the best situation out of out of this possible. That's your reputation, though. Okay, yeah, I'll go well, with choreographer I mean, because okay. then you can be a real dick and you can at least try to get her to be better. But like, I you can be as that. harsh as you want because that like they're hiring you. So you could be so harsh that they eventually fire you. And that's probably your ideal situation. All right. You know what? I didn't come into it thinking that was the right answer, but that is definitely the right answer. <laughs> the, the floor is closed to questions. That is the answer. Just go so hard on her that she quits out of frustration, even though the movie kind of makes it seem like she would never be frustrated. But I think you could get her there. 
She is so happy-go-lucky in the movie, isn't it? That's actually yeah. the funniest thing I think about what I've realized from talking to you guys about this is like she is totally okay with her life. <laughs> like yeah. she is hundred percent happy with what's going on. That's really funny. And to come I, in, do I you totally, want to go first? I, I totally would be um the good friend and just lie the whole time though. I'm fine with that. God, wouldn't that be so annoying though? Like they keep coming back to you. You're doing fantastic, darling. Love it. Love <laughs> there it all. You go. I couldn't do that. No notes. Snap one day. I would just be like, no, I can't. I can't do this. Wow, you learned that today. Wow, good job. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll go. <laughs> I'll go, Rachel. Um, so, very similar to to Daniel's question, uh, would you rather have to judge a crappy local beauty pageant, seeing dozens of untalented people trying to impress you, or would you just once terribly sing a Tina Turner song in hopes of winning the page the the local crappy pageant? Uh, right away, judge. I, I would not want <laughs> to, if I'm performing the way she is. No, I, I wouldn't be able to. That would that would stick with me. If I if anyone ever showed me video of my performance of that song, I was like, no, I can't. It was so bad. Yeah. I'm glad they cut away from that. I I'm with Daniel. I would say judge as well. It's it's better to be. It's more fun to judge someone than to actually do it yourself. I know um, it would probably be brain numbing, but I just. Yeah. Yeah, but it could be funny too. Like you could yes. you could make it fun as well. Like look, look at it this way. The best routine was the crappy Tina Turner song. Right, because she did win. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, that's especially so why I'd be like, the I win. Best. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd still rather be judging. Yeah, I'd still rather be judging. What would uh, Yeah, me too. I'd would you rather too. judge Dakota? Hundred percent. Yeah. Um Okay, my question actually is exactly in the same line of thought as you guys with, about the pageant. Um, so I'm going to say, would you rather have your, like, so you know they have the talent portion in, uh, I say this, you know, like, because you guys, you know, when you, Obviously, you all you the know. pageants that you guys have done. Yeah. I've seen Miss Congeniality. Yeah, this, that's my reference point for this. <laughs> So there's the actually no it's not it's Seinfeld episode of the talent portion. I'm thinking of the talent <laughs> portion of that. Um would you rather have to do the like a singing but assuming that you can sing, okay, like moderately okay, or would you rather be a magic act? Uh, so singing. easy. Magic act 100%. Really? I wish yeah. I could do magic tricks. Oh. Oh wow. I, mean, I, th- I think I'd actually choose magic as well. But then I think about the Seinfeld episode and she had doves and that was, that was tricky. It was tricky for her. Do you know what yeah, I'm I think about? I could get to singing before magic. I, I, really? As much as I appreciate someone who does it well, I was actually funnily enough, like trying to do some stuff I saw online before I, I jumped on this call. And I was like, yeah, like I, I definitely would overthink it. I would, I would be like really some magic worried. stuff. You were trying to do magic. I saw somebody doing like all this, like um, making a coin disappear stuff, and I was like, they made it seem so simple, and I could not do it to save my life. I love that. Just before you coming on, you were trying to do magic tricks. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to come up on this episode, but it definitely was a big part of today's uh, events. That's really funny. <laughs> okay, I'm so glad you... the cameras you set up, Rachel, are working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> So, so you, it was, is that they call those like sleight of hand tricks, right? Like trying right, to yeah. make something disappear. I've never actually tried those, but I just feel like magic would be more fun, but I guess it is more mm-hmm. difficult. 
It is a lot. Yeah, but if you can I do think it, you can do I it. I wouldn't be able to do yeah. the magic and the, you know, like the showmanship of it all. True. If, yes. If, if it was like prestige style, I would definitely be the Christian bear. Like, here's the trick. You get it. Bye. Like, I would have no, <laughs> I would have, no one would give me any miscongeniality. I would just be like, no, here are the tricks. There they are. And I guess like, what, like uh, 75% of magic, I feel like a showmanship. Exactly. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. I could get to the singing before the being able to pull off the magic trick and the, you know, uh, personality you need to sell all of it. What would, what would be your song, Daniel, if you, if you were in a pageant, what would be your, the one that you're going to go up on stage and wow the oh, judges man. with? As someone who needs to sing a whole bunch of Disney songs for uh, <laughs> his son, I, it's, probably gonna be uh something phil harris related, like either like bare necessities or thomas o'malley something like that nice those are good ones good good nice oh i'm glad that question worked out far better than i ever could have imagined it was gonna work <laughs> out i agree that, that was that was fun i i like how all three of our questions were about the beauty pas- pageant <laughs> aspect even though that was probably the most inconsequential part of the movie <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> no. There wasn't a lot to go on in this. No. All right. I think this is a perfect place to wrap things up. Daniel, I want to thank you so much for coming on thank the you. show today. Thank you very Where much Where can for people me. find you and your work? And is there anything you want to promote? Yeah, I would I would love to promote my podcast, Spoiled Rotten. Uh, both of you, well, I mean... Rachel has been on it, I think, episode 243 for Batman Forever. And uh, as we said, Dakota, you'll be on in July for uh, The Punisher. And uh, you can find all of my stuff at tdfeverything.com. I am at the Young Guard on Twitter and just Young Guard on Instagram, Y-U-N-G-G-U-A-R-D. Um, but yeah, I it's pretty much the podcast stuff and uh, my website, tdfeverything.com. If you want to see other, other things I'm getting into. Nice. Well, I will make sure to include show notes, links for all that in the show notes, as I always do. And I will also link to uh, Rachel's appearance on your podcast. And of course, when the Punisher one comes out, make sure to share that one as well. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, once again, thank you so much, Daniel. This thank is a real you. pleasure. Thanks, thank Daniel. Right. Rachel, what about you? Where can people find you and what have you been working on? Um, you can go to, is it rachelkh.com? And I'm on Twitter at underscore Rachel, Rachel KH. I know how to pronounce my name. What have I been up to? I'm just going to promote my episode on um, Spoiled Rotten Podcast because I right. actually really love uh, Batman Forever. It's a great movie. And I mean, it's not great. It's fun. It's a, I should call it a great movie. It's a fun movie. Um, and I really enjoyed talking about it with Daniel and Ben. And um, it took me back. It was fun being able to watch it. Not that I need permission to watch it, but it was a nice excuse to watch a movie that I hadn't really seen in a little while. So go check out that episode. Nice. Okay. Well, you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And this has been a That Shelf podcast. So for more great film discord film discourse visit thatshelf.com if you have seen cut bank let us know your thoughts send an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com thank you to eric and kevin smale for the theme music and to stephanie Pryor for the logo design if you like to listen to podcasts on youtube we do post all episodes there as well and if you really like listening to the show consider tipping us on coffee thanks for checking us out